If you have your Bible, John chapter 3, if you would make your way there, John chapter 3. If you are a guest with us, we are delighted to have you with us. If we've not had opportunity to meet just yet, my name is Jordan Johnson. have the joy of serving as our lead pastor here at PVC and one of our elders. And if you are a guest with us, or it's been a while since you've been with us, we've been asking our great God to compel you to come to be here with us on this most exciting Christmas Eve day as we celebrate the great God of the Bible, His dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the imminent presence of the Holy Spirit who is among us even now. So John chapter 3 is where we're going to be today as you make your way there. And if you are online with us, we too are incredibly excited for you to be with us. And I do want to encourage you to take us up on that offer, on that connect card on the back of the pew in front of you. We want to connect with you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you take your next step toward Jesus. Please remember that. All of us in this room, we all have a next step that we need to take toward Jesus. And if we can be of any assistance in your life to help you do just that, then it would be our honor and our joy to come alongside you. So please consider filling that out and drop it in the box on your way out. Pray with me, and then we're going to hop into God's Word. Our Father, we bless your name today for adopting people like us into your forever eternal family. We thank you that our adoption was not earned, our adoption was not worked for, our adoption was nothing of our own doing. Our adoption was purely an act of your good grace in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise your name, Father. We praise you. We recognize that this is a, a, the Lord's day, the day every single week where we gather as the people of God and we recognize, Jesus, that you are alive, that you, the infant baby Jesus who came, you came to die. You came to live a perfect life in the place of your people. You died so that we would have peace, eternal peace, joy, love, all the wonderful things that we have, God. We recognize it is your work and your work alone that has secured those things in our lives. And yet, God, we desire that others who are here now or watching online, that they would experience your love in a salvific way, that they too would experience your adoption. For we know that beyond all of the glitz and, and, and glamour and consumerism surrounding the holiday, God, we know your heart is a desire to save anyone who would look to Jesus, faith alone in Him alone. So we are full to the brim with joy, singing these great Christmas carols, O Holy Night, O Mighty God, O Prince of Peace, O Everlasting Father, and gracious counselor, would you come now and would you counsel us again by your word? Would you feed our hungry souls? Would you nourish the longing of every heart? For we know that in you and in you alone are the answers to life's greatest questions. And so we thank you that you've given us your grace and your kindness, and may you dispel it 
among every believing heart today. We ask it for Christ's sake, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Years back in News Today, an article was run entitled, Giving Up on Christmas. And they interviewed a particular woman, and this is what she said. Quote, I start dreading Christmas from the time the decorations go up, so that would like be in August, (laughs) in the stores as it stopped being fun for me many, many years ago because I experienced so much pain surrounding the holiday. Now, looking back, it's hard for me to see anything good this time of year. In fact, Every year, all the memories of the pain always reappear. I have feelings of being numb from all of the carnage for my mental, physical, and emotional health. Therefore, I wish Christmas could be done away with all together. Close quote. Now, for some of us, That mindset of this woman is certainly not your mindset. That when you think about Christmas, everything about the holiday, you just cannot get enough of. In fact, some of you have had your tree up since August, or at least around November, and you actually ate your Thanksgiving meal looking at your Christmas tree. Others of you won't ever take your Christmas tree down. I know many people who never take their tree down. They leave it up all year long, and they redecorate it for the various holidays. And so for you, you may be coming this morning, and Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, celebrating the birth of our Savior. You enjoy the lights. You enjoy the candles. You enjoy the tinsel. You enjoy decking your halls. You enjoy everything, pretty much everything, that goes with the season. And yet, I trust that there are some among us, and maybe watching online, who you could find sentiment with this dear woman, who experienced much pain in the past surrounding the Christmas holiday, and every year that pain seems to reappear in your life. It could be that every year you dread the busyness of the season, Uh, Some of us have been going, 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 going nonstop, and we dread the weariness, the Christmas lull that you may refer to it as, and you dread every year just the busyness. You think, golly, could we just stay home and not get caught up in all that this year? But yet you did, and you dread all that comes with the busyness. For others, there are some family members that if you're honest, you'd rather not see them this year. And you dread even having to be around them. You have a past, you had a falling out, you had a mix of words in the past, and every year you try to avoid them, and yet you can't avoid them this year. They're going to be sitting across from the table tomorrow. And you dread having to face them. Others dread the debt that comes with this time of year. Uh, Some of us are going to owe the creditors a whole lot of money in 2024 and beyond. Now, not all of us, but some of us. And you dread 
all of the money that you're going to have to pay back, and you dread every year. It causes tension in your marriage because your wife wants to go all out, you don't want to, or vice versa. It causes a big issue, and then every time you get a bill in the mail from the debt collectors, you're reminded, oh, that's why I dread. Others dread because, quite honestly, you miss a family member. Tomorrow, when you eat your lunch or your dinner or your brunch or your lunch or everything in between, they're not going to be there. It hurts. Some of us this year is the first time they're, they're not going to be there. So there's a lot of dread, a lot of pain. Then others of us, we, we just dread the fact that Christmas is not like it used to be. Whatever that means to you, whatever that means concerning your kids or your family or commercials or culture or church or whatever it is for you, you dread the holiday because it's just not like it used to be. So for those reasons and probably several more that I certainly could not read and understand where you're coming from this morning, what I do know is this, that if we could lay aside all of the consumerism and all of the things that go around this holiday, and if, if we could just look deep into the heart of God, if we could look into God's heart this Christmas season and draw back to that first Christmas season, I think there's two things that you cannot miss from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. I hope you're there. If you're not, we'll have it on the screen in front of you. There's two things surrounding Christmas that oozes out of these five to six verses that we're going to look at very briefly this morning. First, there is a consolation in Christmas. Second of all, there is a confrontation in Christmas. There's a consolation that comes with Christmas, but there is a confrontation that also comes with Christmas. First of all, as you see there on the screen, the consolation, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Or it could be translated, see how much God loves the world. Some translations say that. That's a good rendering. See, like, see, see how much God loves the world. Like, whoa, like mega wow. See how much God loves the world. Notice how much he loves the world. That he gave. Would you say the word gave? His only son. Now, a synonym for consolation would be comfort, by the way. There's a comfort that comes with Christmas. There's a consolation that comes with Christmas. And namely, it is the heart of God in sending His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save anyone who would look away from anything they have done or they have not done and look squarely to him by faith alone and rest in the fact that he did everything to accomplish a right standing for you before a holy God. And friends, that is very, very comforting. Now, when you read the book of John, I want you to underline in your Bible the word world, because when you read the book of John, what you see is that the focus here of God's love is not that he loves a world so big, watch this now, but that he loves a world so broken. It's not that he loves such a big world, like geographically, but that he would love a world that is so utterly broken and in rebellion against him. 
that the peoples, when you think world, think the peoples of the world. Think every ethnicity. Think in India. Think in Japan. Think in Texas. Think in Ohio. Think in Czechoslovakia, in Ukraine, and everywhere in between. The peoples of the world, all the ethnicities of the world are holistically in defiance to God. They don't love what He loves because they don't love Him. They don't value what He values because they holistically don't value Him. That we, friends, as a human race, have collectively turned our backs on God. We have fundamentally, you hear about wars on Christmas today, forget that, there's a great war on God. There's a great war on coming after Him and coming after the way that he thinks that life should be conducted and the way that things should be done. And friends, the fact that you and I, by, 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 by birth and by choice, would defy God, it grieves his heart. Hear that. It grieves his heart. It hurts him. It doesn't make him any less than God in the sense that hurting him makes him somehow less than God, but it just means it grieves his heart that the very ones that he made to love him, to fear him, to obey him, to value him, they put their puny fist in the air and say, no, God. So it's not that God would love a world so big, friends. It's that God would love a world so broken, so debilitated. And here's the thing. God could have justifiably kicked us to the curb, could he not? He could have justifiably said, give them what they deserve. They don't want me. They don't want to follow me. They don't want to love me. They don't want to pursue me. Give them what they deserve, an eternity under my forever judgment and wrath. God could have done that. And he would have been right in doing that. He would have been justified in doing that. Would have been nothing wrong with that because God is holy. But in spite of that, this is where this text is going. In spite of that, God loved this broken world so much. Here's how much. That he would send his unique and only son. The word only son here means his unique and treasured son. He gave his one and only son. Friend, could you imagine giving your one and only son so that he would pay the price for a world that was hell-bent on not following him. That's what's really staggering about this text. And really staggering, if you're, a, if you're a mom or a dad or you have a son, I have a son. Anybody else have a son? I wouldn't give him up for nothing. But Jordan, we're going to give him a million dollars. I don't care. I'm not gonna, you're not, you, you can't have him. There's nothing you could give me that I would give you, Theophilus. There's just nothing. That, that, and yet, this is the, 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 the God of the Bible. This is what John 3.16 is really meant for you to see, friend, that in the midst of a world being so broken and so against God, God, instead of kicking us to the curb, He said, I am going to send my very precious, unique Son to save, to save. Watch this now. God sent Jesus into a broken world to be broken by the world, ultimately for the world. 
God sent Jesus to the world to be broken by the world for the salvation of the world. Friends, Jesus did not come, it says in verse 17, to condemn the world. Notice that. He didn't come to condemn the world. You know why Jesus Jesus did not come to condemn the world? Because the world already had been condemned. The world stood condemned. The world stood guilty. And so Jesus did not come to rub our noses in the carpet of our own failures. Isn't that good news? He didn't come to rub our noses in the failures of our own carpet. He didn't come to lecture us. He didn't. He didn't come to lecture us on how we've blown it and how we've disappointed him. He didn't come to beat us up for making a mess of his planet. But it says he came, this is why he came, purpose statement, in order. Here's why. That the world might be saved through him. So you see the depth of the love of God, not by the badness of the world, but by the beauty of his Son. What John the Apostle would tell us, in, who wrote this, this book here, would tell us in his prologue, in his opening statement, in John chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And this is speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. What John the Apostle is saying is that Jesus did not have his beginning when he showed up in a manger. He had no beginning. The Son of God eternally existed in a face-to-face, watch this now, face-to-face relationship with God the Father. The Holy Spirit of God is tying the two together and the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity have been in a perfect, what C.S. Lewis called dance. They've been dancing together in perfect harmony, perfect union, perfect love, perfect fellowship, one with another. And at a point in time, that was set before there was ever in the beginning God created in Genesis 1-1. At a point in time, God the Son, not just the Son of God, but God the Son, the second member of the eternal trinity, took on human flesh, became a man. And this is the good news. This is the consolation of Christmas. Now, notice back in verse 16, because it says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Well, for means he's talking about something that happened before. You English folks, these are context clues. The word for has the idea of grabbing something that he's just now talked about. Well, what was he talking about? Glad you asked. Notice in verse 14 and 15 of John 3, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, would you give me that word? Whoever, let's try it again, believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, what he is referring to here is a pretty scary, epic episode in the life of Israel. Numbers chapter 14, you can look it up and read it at your Christmas luncheon just kidding. But you can read it in Numbers 14, you could, but Numbers 14, when the people of God continue to rebel against God, and God 
rather than wiping them off the planet just by... He sends these fiery serpents. God is doing this. He sends these serpents into the camp to go bite the people of Israel and to take their life. Now, that's pretty scary to think about, that a, a big bunch of snakes is just dropped in your area, sent by God, which means whatever they were sent to do, if God's the one sending them, it means they're going to accomplish whatever he sent them to do. And so these fiery serpents are biting the people of God because they've rebelled against God. And they're scared, as you would be, as I would be. And they began to cry out to, to Moses, their leader. Moses, make him stop. And so Moses intercedes, and this was the simple solution. That God told Moses, get a serpent, wrap it around a bronze pole, essentially, and if anybody will look at it, look up at the, the, the bronze serpent, then they'll be saved. It looked a lot like this, by the way, this, this picture I have here for you. It looked a lot like that. And Moses held this up, and the people are trying to avoid these snakes, and they look up, and, and God saves them. And it's a rather interesting way to deal with a snake problem. And yet, Jesus grabs that same story here in John 3, and this is what he's saying. I love a sin-bitten world. I love a world that has been bitten by the effects of sin. People have rebelled against me, yet I love them so much that I would lift up my son, just like the serpent was lifted up on the bronze. So I would lift up my son on a Roman cross, and anybody who would look to him by faith and believe on him and rest in all that he came to do in his perfect life and his death upon the cross, just as this looking to this serpent lifted up would save the people of Israel, if anybody would look to Jesus, they would be saved from the sin-bitten effect of the world. And so Christmas presents us with a ridiculously good God, a God who is compassionate, a God who is loving, a God who has made provision for you, even in your rebellion, for you to come to him and to look to Jesus and find great comfort. Notice 18, whoever, see it again, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And anybody who would look to me, they won't be condemned. They'll be saved. But notice, this, this leads really to the confrontation. Whoever does not believe, and by the way, to believe is to receive. To believe in Jesus is not for you just to affirm, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus. He lived 33 years somewhere in Jerusalem hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's not what it means to believe in Jesus. That would be embracing facts. To believe in Jesus means that you have personally received him as your only Savior. Remember, he is the only son from God. So that means he is the only savior by which you can be saved. And for you to believe on Jesus means that you have received him personally in your life at some point. So he says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. See? Jesus said, I, I didn't need to come to condemn anybody. The world was already condemned. Because he or she has not believed in the name, here's that language again, of the only Son of God. So Christmas is not only about consolation, Christmas is also about a, a, a confrontation. 
Because this passage confronts you, friend. Consider yourself confronted. This passage is confronting you. You can't leave out of here and say, well, great sermon, great breakfast, go on about my day. No, you have, there's a confrontation here. Either you believe in Jesus and you receive him or you don't. There is no third option. For you to say, I'm just indifferent, you made your choice. You are in defiance to him. And, as the text says here, you stand condemned. There's no third option. Which leads to verse 19, which is the confrontation. Notice, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Now, when God became a man in the person of Jesus, in the manger, light came into the world. Notice, and people love the darkness rather than the light. And here's why. Here's another purpose statement. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his or hers works should be exposed. Jesus Christ has come, but people love the darkness rather than the light. Ultimately, so much so, they will reject the light. Jesus gave himself this title, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And so, when you see here the light has come, think Jesus has come. And people have rejected him. They've rejected him. And the reason they've rejected him, watch this now, is because of that last little E word, exposed. The reason people don't want to come to Jesus is because he exposes something about them. The word exposed is like an MRI term. It means It's a legal term, but it it technically means to convict you and prove you to be in error. That if you come to Jesus, what he will do is he will expose you that you are in error. And you say, Jordan, I think it begs the question, what do you mean to be in error of what? Well, throughout the teaching ministry of Jesus, Jesus will often attribute people who don't receive him is because they love their self-autonomy. That's a $5,000 word that just simply means they want to be the boss. They want to be king. They want to be in control. They want to call the shots. They want to have their own ethical standards. They want to have their own moral virtues. They want to do what they want to do, how they want to do, who they want to do it with, when they want to do it, and even if they want to do it, all in the name of give me my freedom. It just simply means you're a slave to yourself. You're a slave to yourself. True freedom is when you actually give over and surrender to the very one who knows what's best for you. That's what it means to be free. To be free is not to do whatever you want. To be free is to come under the reign of Jesus and let him tell you what you should want and what you should not want. And you find freedom there. In fact, this is chiefly why humans hate the light because it shows them that they can no longer be boss if they want this boss. That when you come to Jesus, you're coming to him to be your savior, but you're also coming underneath his reign. You're also saying, I'm, get, I'm laying my white flag down. I'm surrendering all that I am. 
I'm surrendering my ethics, my morals, everything that I think, and I am picking up his standards, I'm picking up his moral, I'm picking up his way of doing life. Now, let's be clear, that takes a little while to learn all that. It's not just come to Jesus, day one, I surrender, but it's the heart here. The heart that says, Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Lord, I come under you as King. I don't want to be self-autonomous. I don't want to call my own shots. I give myself to you. And Jesus says, this is the very reason people don't want to come to me. This is why they hate me. Because they want to do them, bro. They want to do them. There was a man one day who came to Jesus, and he was a very moral man, and yet he realized something's off in my life. Something's off. And so he approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Keep his commandments and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young, young guy was like, I've been doing that since I was a little youth. And Jesus tested him then. He said, I, I want you to give up all your wealth, I want you to give it to the poor, and I want you to come follow me for the rest of your life, and I will be your treasure, and you will have treasure in heaven. Your, tre your treasure on earth is gone, but now your treasure is in heaven. And the Bible says his faith, his face countenance fell. And he walked away, and he rejected Jesus, not because, for any philosophical reasons, the fact that Jesus is who he says that he is. He just did not want to come under his code of ethics. He did not like what Jesus had to say concerning money. And so he walked away. And you see this time and time again as you, as you read the Gospels this year in 2024. I want you to see how many times Jesus will indict people not because they don't believe he's who he says he is, but because they don't want to follow him the way that he says that they should follow him. It's all about lordship. It's all about who's king. It's all about are you going to be king or are you going to crown me as king? And, and this is what the man couldn't do. See, friends, Jesus has come, and, and he is the light of the world. But some people, like, don't want to look at the light. It's almost like when you stare into light, and you're like, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, I'm not looking. That's how some people treat Jesus. And Jesus demands that if you're going to come to him, you have to come with absolute allegiance, a complete surrender, giving up your way in all way, self-autonomy, no longer legislating your own moral universe. Because as long as you are your own God, whatever you think goes, goes. But when you come to Jesus, now you've come under the rule of somebody else. For everyone, he says in verse 20 again, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his or her work should be exposed. This is what I want to tell you today, friend, is that if you would come to Jesus and look away from yourself, because some people say, I don't want to come to Jesus because I have to give up this and I have to give up this and I have to give up this and I have to give up that. And let me tell you something. It's good that you're counting the cost. It's a really good thing for you to say, listen, if I'm going to go all in with this Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I, I think about this and I think about this and I think about this and I think about this. I was talking to a guy this week. 
He said, I, he was this guy. He said, listen, if I, if, I, if I say yes to Jesus, then that means I have to say no to a lot of stuff that I'm just not ready to say no to. I said, okay, then you don't need to come. But here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus says, anything I demand you to do, I'm standing right here ready to help you do it. That is a game changer. Because coming to Jesus is not you. Come to Jesus, white-knuckle it, try to clean yourself up, get moral, stop doing this, start doing that. No, it's coming to Jesus. Jesus puts his Holy Spirit in you, and now he causes you to want to love the things of God. You're going to mess up just like I do, but he has changed the bent of your heart where now you actually want to do what God wants you to do. So there's great beauty, friend. It's great beauty. This is not you just try harder, be better, stop doing this, start doing that. That's baloney. Just come to him. Believe on him. Receive him. And he will put a new engine in you. And you will now have power to live out the very things that you said. I could never stop doing that. I could never stop doing that. No, you're right. You couldn't. The Spirit of God in you will enable you to do that which is humanly impossible. And this is the good news of the Savior. See, there's a great difference in professing that you know Jesus and, and preferring Jesus. A lot of people claim profession of Jesus, but they don't prefer Him. In other words, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but in their, in their life, anybody know anybody like that? Uh, are you that? You claim Jesus mentally, but your lifestyle would seem to contradict. You talk out of both sides of your mouth. Or if we hung out with you for a little while, would we see Jesus as really your king? Or is he, is he your king in name only? And this is the good news, friend, that when you really receive him, you get all of him. And the reason Jesus wants all of you is because he gave everything for you. He demands all because he gave all. And see, this is what this rich young ruler didn't understand. When he heard Jesus say, you've got to give up all your stuff and come follow me, all he heard Jesus saying is, you're taking stuff from me. When actually Jesus is the one who went broke. Jesus is the one who actually left heaven, went broke, and died and was broken on the cross so that this man could actually have a chance and a shot. But, but all he heard was, I don't get to do what I want to do. And so this is the good news of the gospel. This is the consolation, friends, that we give our all to Jesus because Jesus has given his all for us. 21, he closes here and says, whoever, but, but whoever does what is true. In the Greek, there's a definite article here. So it actually should read, whoever adheres to the truth who is Jesus. That's why it should literally read. Whoever adheres to the truth who is Jesus. That's what it reads. They will come to the light and look to Christ alone as their only Savior. Here's why. So that it may be clearly seen that his or hers works have been carried out in God. Friend, do you catch what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the reason that anyone comes to Jesus is because God is actually the one that brought it about. Notice. That God is the one, he says here, who is at work. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. 
so that you can see that the works, his works, his would be the one who's received Jesus. Her works, his, her, that it would be true or it would be seen or people would notice God's actually the one doing it through them. Friends, our good works as the people of God are actually not our own good efforts. And they're actually the work of God. Watch this. God is the one behind the reason we even believed. God is the one who even now is making us continue to prefer Jesus over what the culture says is right. God is the one who actually compelled us to see the light and love the light and not turn away from the light and come to the light. God is the one who changed our spiritual appetite. Where you go from not wanting the Lord and hating Him, and now you love Him, and I mean, now you're attending church, and you're a part of a faith community. People that know you from high school are like, dude, what happened to you? Like, who are you? What happened? I want the old you back. Well, they die. They're no longer alive because now this person has now come under the reign of the Lord, but it was not them that did it. It is God, it says here, He melted our resistance. He changed our affections. He compels us to love the truth. Friends, it is God who has done this. And the reason that I want to point that out is because if you have come to the light, and if you've come to the light, would you say amen? You cannot boast at those who are still in the dark. You can't judge those. Who, who still prefer the darkness. You can't walk with a swagger. You can't put your chest out. Watch your Facebook quotes, please, your social media stuff. You can't put your swagger out. You can't put your chest out. You can't live in superiority and think, well, if they just get their stuff together, this world would be a lot better place if they would act like me. Because it's not you, friend, that made you believe. It's God who changed your heart. It's the mercy of God that saved you. It's the grace of God that brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light. It is God who gave you spiritual ears to see, I, I mean to hear. It is God who gave you spiritual eyes to see. Friend, you were lost. You were, you were out there in the darkness just eating it up, enjoying it. And God is the one who saved you. God is the one who brought you to faith. So don't ever walk with a swagger toward those who are still preferring the light because if it weren't for the grace of God, you'd be right beside them. Amen. We give glory to God because we deserve the condemnation of God and yet He saved us. We just live in thanks. We just praise God that He snatched us, the book of Jude says, out of, the light, out of the darkness, and he brought us into the light. But it's God who awakened all of that. Now, I wonder as we close here if God might be doing that in someone's heart even now in this room, where your eyes are starting to open a bit. You're starting to see the reality and the beauty of Jesus. God is convincing and altering your mind that maybe you got it wrong in the past. Maybe you bought into a spiritual bill of goods that the Bible would not authorize. Friend, the way that you respond to the prompting of the Spirit of God 
is by faith. It is saying yes to Jesus. It is saying, I want to run to the light. I don't know how I'm going to change all this stuff in my life. I know there's a lot in my life that is not where it needs to be. There may be some people I need to talk to, all that stuff. But you know what? Jesus is better. He's better than anything he would ask me to give up. After all, he died for me. He lived for me. He did everything so that I could have an eternity with God. Therefore, there's nothing he could ask of me that I would not depend upon his grace to do. If that is you, that is you. If we can help you today, friend, that's why we're here. We have a, a response team. Uh, you, you can talk to me after our, our gathering here and just say, listen, my mind's been changed a little bit. My, my mind's been altered a bit. I thought this, but now I think this. Or God is working on my heart. I feel convicted. I, 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 need, to, I need to come back home to Jesus. One of the ways you come back home to Jesus is come back to his church. Some of us in this room are not prioritizing the gathering of the people of God as we should. Today's a good day not just to come home to Jesus, but come home to his church and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit in 2024 to be a part of a faith community so that I could grow, so that I could worship the Lord alongside the people of God. And then finally, for those of us who have believed in him, you, you know what our marching orders are today? Simply this, keep preferring him. Keep preferring him. Is there anything in your life this Christmas that you would say, I'm preferring what I think over what Jesus thinks in that area? I prefer my way over his way. I prefer my way in this relationship, the way I'm handling it. I prefer my way, the way I'm doing marriage. I prefer my way, the way I'm doing singleness. I prefer my way, the way that I'm doing work. Is there any area of your life where you're not giving preference to what Jesus says, but you're giving preference to what you think? Friend, if you're a Christian, you gave up that kind of thinking. So come back home today. Prefer him again. And for these things, I want to pray for us. God, we praise you and we thank you for your great love for us that while we were sinners, Christ, you died for us. A world that had turned its back on you, declared war on you. Oh, Father, instead of kicking us to the curb, you showed your magnanimous love by sending your prized possession son. We know, Father, that it was always your plan to save a people for yourself. We know, Jesus, that you came for your people to pay for our sins. I pray, Lord, if there are some of those here today that have not yet believed, have not yet received you, as their Lord, as their Savior King, oh God, that you would cause them today to be born again, that you would cause them to see that everything they're looking for is found in Jesus, for he is a mighty Savior. He is a beautiful Savior. He is a majestic Savior. God, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have changed us, that there's nothing you ask us to do, Jesus, that you are not standing beside us and Holy Spirit in us that says, I, am, I will help you. I'm ready to help you do everything that the Word of God calls you to do. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us as orphans on this earth. 
that you did not just save us and bring us into your fold, but you put your very spirit in us so that we would love what you love and, and begin to reject that which rejects you. Lord, help us to not walk as a, with any kind of swagger, any kind of pomp or pride, but may our hearts break for those who are still in darkness, for we once were there. If it weren't for your grace, we would still be there. So I pray that you would give us a heart, Lord, a fresh heart, not a prideful, arrogant heart, but a heart that wants to love people where they are at, introducing them to the good news of Jesus, modeling Jesus, and entrusting them to you, God. For as we see today in this text, it is you that produces these things in the human heart. Finally, Lord, as those who have received you this Christmas Eve, would you open our eyes? Would you woo our hearts? Would you melt any resistance that we might have right now in the way that we are living that does not bring you glory and honor? And would you remind us that you are our helper and we love you. And we pray all of this, Father, in his in. in Jesus' name, amen.